With Mark, I greet you. I'm Joel. Welcome to Heart City Church. Any of you joining us online? Last week, we began an Advent series called, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. And I'm unashamed that we must come more and more to adore our Lord Jesus Christ, who came, who was fully God, and yet came into our world and became man. Now, J.B. Phillips, he provides an interesting perspective from the angel's view in his short story called The Visited Planet. The story begins with a young angel who's being shown around the entire universe by a senior angel. He's taken to incredible galaxies. He sees blazing stars, all that God has created. And at long last, the senior angel takes him to our solar system. And he points to this little small sphere and he says to the little one, watch that one particularly. Little angel says, it looks small and dirty. What's special about that one? That, replies the senior, is the visited planet. Visited, says the little one. You don't mean visited by, and the senior angel interrupts and says, indeed, that small, insignificant, dirty planet was visited by the Prince of Glory. Now this little angel can hardly believe it. And he asks that why out of all the splendors of the whole universe, the Prince of Glory would make a visit to this little fifth-rate planet. But then the senior angel really blows his mind when he says, actually, to visit them, he became one of them. The little angel's face wrinkles in disgust, and he says, Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creepy, crawling creatures of that fading ball? I do, said the senior, and I don't think he would like you calling them creepy, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down there to visit them, to lift them up, to be like himself. The little angel just looks with a blank stare. It was such a mystery to him that the glorious creator God that they served and worshipped would empty himself, take the form of a servant, and be made in the likeness of men. That's actually an imagined story, but it is holy imagination. I would argue, because this angel perspective is true. The Apostle Peter says that everywhere where the good news is preached, there are holy angels on tiptoes peering in, trying to figure out the mystery of God's great love for us. Friends, welcome to Matthew 1, where we're going to hear of an angel who dropped in to share the mystery of God's love with an unsuspecting little human. Let's first pray before we go to Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. Father, we come to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus. And we marvel that what we're about to hear is of such significance that there are glorious beings peering in right now, seeking to understand this mystery. Loving Father, will you send your Spirit to open our eyes to behold glory, open our ears to hear truth, and open our hearts to take in the only love that could ever fully satisfy us. Jesus, please take your place in this pulpit now. 
and reveal yourself in all your benefits, we ask in your name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Verse, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We just read about an angel bringing news to a troubled, troubled fellow on perhaps the worst day of his life. The angel came on a mission to tell Joseph that actually his earthly perspective was all wrong. That what seemed to be calamity, upheaval, betrayal, loss, was exactly the opposite. Joseph actually could not be more loved at this moment. The angel came to say that Mary's surprise pregnancy was a supernatural salvific intervention. And Joseph was given two reasons for why he could trust God and not fear the future. Reason number one, his boy, this boy, would be named Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 21. Reason number two, he would be called Emmanuel, because his coming meant God with us. Verse 23. I was kind of thankful because last week we had a long list of names that I had to sweat over trying to pronounce. This week we only have two. And these two names, these are game changers for us. God showed his love for us in coming to be with us and saving us from our sins. And that same good news given to a troubled Joseph then comes special delivery to you today not by an angel messenger. Let me ask you though, are there, did you wake up today or one day this week feeling that there are certain problems in your life that are bigger than God? You ever feel disconnected? Like God is remote, distant, disinterested in you? I'm so glad you're here. Because the Bible offers us today a new way of viewing your situation. And Jesus wants you to know that he came to earth to join his life to yours. What we found at Heart City Church is that this here Bible does not hold a small vision of God and his kingdom. No. In fact, your brain will actually explode if you try to take in all that God has in store for those who love him. And it became real on the first Christmas 
when God drew nearer to humanity than ever before. That's what the holy and even the unholy angels are actually saying right now this very minute. Let's look at our meditation of the month again. John 1.14, you'll find at the bottom of your page. Let's all recite together this wonderful verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this verse tells us how far God went to prove his love for you. His glory is now in our flesh. Does God have your attention this morning? It's kind of quiet here. You know, there's actually, I'm going to warn you here, there's actually a legend. Uh, uh, Luther once had a dream that he saw this verse being preached, and the devil was actually sitting in the back row. <laughs> and the devil saw someone fall asleep during the sermon. And at the end of the service, the devil walks up behind that man and smacks him in the back of the head. And he says this, if that verse had said God, the word had become a fallen angel, even I wouldn't have fallen asleep. <laughs> I think I could use a slap sometimes. How about you? <laughs> I have an adoration disorder. We talked about this last week. I have too small a vision. How about you? Nobody has ever loved you more or better than Jesus Christ. His coming and his cross mean for the believer that actually your eternal life has already begun. There is actually no afterlife because what we had before was not life. That was before life. And once you take hold of Jesus Christ and you become his, all your good days are in front of you, despite little trials along the way. Do you realize the angels watch us as we spend much of our days living like all of our problems are bigger than Almighty God who created the cosmos? Or we act like God is far away, disinterested in our lives and our situations? Friends, I just want to say that those troubles that are crushing your heart right now are not so bad. Don't hear me wrong. They are significant. But because of the incarnation, they're not determinative. They are significant, but they're not determinative. They are light and momentary afflictions in light of the weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Because in Jesus, God has dealt a death blow to sin, your biggest problem, so that he can be with us forever, forever. That's actually how Matthew's gospel ends. Jesus saying, after he's conquered sin and death, I am with you always. See the book ends? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you guys go out and spread joy to the world. If you're a not yet Christian, that is what Christmas is all about. And if you're not already Christian, that's what Christmas is all about. And we need that reminder. Christmas is the answer to all your problems. The message for us is the same message that came to Joseph, that came to Bethlehem. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. The question for Joseph here is whether he would receive his king by taking his wife. The question for you is whether you're going to seek to prepare to make room in your life for Jesus. That's the question for you today. Will you receive Jesus, believe that he is with us now, and then trust and obey? If you do, guess what? Heaven and nature will sing. 
Actually, angels throw a party every time sinners repent, Luke 15.10. Now, there are three things that I want to note from the start that work against us, that cause you to close your heart. The first thing is suspicion. Suspicion. The second thing, sin. Sin causes you to close your heart. And the third thing, separation. Separation. Feeling God is distant. And they actually come in that order in the Bible. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they lived in a perfect world, in untainted love relationship with God and with each other. They actually lived naked and unashamed because of the pure state of their souls. God gave them paradise and a plan to enter into even greater abundant life. And what ended it all? Suspicion. Satan suggested God was holding out. So they trusted in their own vision of the abundant life. They took what was forbidden and what happened? Sin. Sin entered into the world. That was the first sin. And shame. And they felt unlovable for the first time. Realize that's what happened? They covered themselves with fig leaves. And they went and hid from God. Which, by the way, is really lame. Honestly, he's not a guy you want to play hide and seek with. But God played anyways, didn't he? He called out, where are you? Why? Because he still loved them even though they didn't believe they were lovable. He pursued them. He prodded them to confess. But something happened. They really doubt God's love. Adam, what does he say? I'm afraid. Do you see that separation has come? Even before God kicks him out of Eden, separation has already happened. And we still feel that separation, don't we, at times? Because sin is not just something bad we do. It is that. But sin is a love sucker. Sin is a love sucker. It is a parasitic disease leaving us unable to love and also unable to believe that we are loved. That's why we need to remember where sin starts with suspicion, with unbelief. When we don't trust God loves us and wants what is best for us, it's when we look at our situation, right, and says, God can't possibly love me because of what's happening right now. And then what happens? <laughs> we sin. And you know what I'm talking about? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to suspend all our suspicions for the rest of this service. Everything you hear, let's suspend our suspicions and just believe everything coming from this pulpit, from God's word that's faithful, is true. And let's consider Joseph. Here's a guy who has plenty of reasons to be suspicious in the light of his situation. Matthew tells us he was betrothed to Mary, which means they were seriously engaged. Joseph has his whole life, his whole future ahead of him planned, right? House, wife, honeymoon, all these great things. He's probably bringing flowers to his fiancée. And he finds that Mary has a baby bump. And it's not his. Think his heart was broken? Think his head is spinning at this moment? You think he feels suddenly utterly alone because this girl he loved and thought he was so close to? Looks like she's betrayed him. All his hopes for the future with this girl who seemed to be so spiritual are dashed. 
his reputation, his honor, which by the way means everything in this culture, they're now ruined. If he's like me, he's also taking it out on himself. How could I have been such a bad judge of character? This is Joseph's situation. (laughs) Friends, God often starts this way to help us escape our small vision. Sinclair Ferguson wisely notes how oftentimes the one God uses, first he bruises. Think of it. It's Bible stories all over him. Jacob's limp. Think of Hannah's barrenness. Think of Isaiah's cauterized lips. What happens after they're brought low and their plans, their plans are shattered? They're actually made fit for God's better plan, for God's bigger vision. It also helps, though, here that Joseph, he seems to be a man of incredible spiritual restraint. Instead of acting rashly, actually for adultery, you could ask for a woman to be stoned. But rather, he, what we talked about last week, he chooses to be still. He thinks, maybe I'll have a quiet divorce, but I'm just going to sleep on it tonight. And then, behold, an angel shows up and he says, suspend your suspicions. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph, do not fear. The Holy Spirit has actually begun a new creation in your virgin wife's womb. This boy that met had a human nature from Mary, also had a divine nature from the Holy Spirit. This meant his father was going to be God. Joseph, you're to take up a secondary role as father. Oh, and name the boy Jesus. You don't even get to name him. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. And Joseph has to be like, what? (laughs) This is a far bigger vision for what Joseph had in mind for his life with Mary. It's actually why Matthew started off his gospel the way he did with all those names. Remember them? Matthew begins off this this gospel with a list of nearly 2,000 years of people ever in exile people under the thumb of Satan's tyranny, people crying out in pain, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and rescue captive Israel. Oh, remember at the end of that list? Joseph, he's a part of that history. And God says, Joseph, will you believe that my plan for your life is better than yours? And Joseph's amazing. He trusted and he obeyed. And I promise he's not regretting it right now. He's in heaven and he's more wowed even than the angels right now over Christmas. You see, Jesus brought us forgiveness of our sins. And we need to ponder how massive this is. What do we tend to focus on in terms of our problems? My finances, maybe politics again, our country, family, health. Actually, it's no different in Joseph's day. What do they think the biggest problem is? The Romans, politics, the government right now, sickness and disease. Actually, that's what those guys were who dropped their paralyzed buddy in front of Jesus. Remember, they tore apart the roof. They're looking down through the ceiling, waiting for Jesus to heal their buddy, their poor sickly buddy. And what did Jesus say to the guy? 
Son, your sins are forgiven you. And they're looking for, hey, we didn't bring them here for forgiveness of sins. We want something, Jesus, physical. We want something observable. Don't you see his problem? But Jesus says his real problem is sin, and I'm giving him something far better. He has come. Jesus came to offer sinners a way back to God. Back to the abundant life humanity forfeited. Jesus is offering a bigger vision than other Pastor Joel's who preach your best life now. And it starts with him. It starts with Jesus. Jesus is actually holding forth a bigger vision of himself. Consider his claim. Your sins are forgiven. There has never been any teacher of any other religion who has ever claimed anything like this. How can Jesus say, your sins are forgiven? Think about how audacious that is. Think about what Jesus is saying is true. This guy who has committed sins, he's all good now. Actually, he probably sinned on the way. I know I had a bad thought on the way here to church. We all sin, right? All the time. Maybe his wacko buddies, right? Maybe he got offended at them, right? They're always hauling around different places. He has no, no ability to go anywhere on his own. Remember, these guys, they're probably not really great friends sometimes, right? They're happy to demo an unsuspecting neighbor's roof for him. And then he's dropped down in the middle of this mess. Let's just say, imagine they say they're going to do this and he punches one of his buddies in the face. Okay, it doesn't matter. We just need an example of a sin that he committed. Say his name's Bill, this paralytic Bill. He punches Tom in the face. Tom's rubbing his face, drops him down. And now Jesus says to Bill, your sins are forgiven. What's Tom supposed to think? He's the one who got punched. How is Bill forgiven? <laughs> Tom is being invited to believe what the Pharisees saw immediately, what they understood immediately. Jesus can only forgive Bill for hitting Tom if the sin is against his person first. If he is the God in whose image Tom is made, right? So how about you? All of us have sinned against countless people and many unknowingly. How many unintentional sins have you committed against people you don't even know about? How are you ever going to repair all the hurts that you've caused? All the crimes you've committed? How are you going to do that? There's no way any of us can really ever be forgiven of all we've done to other people. But that's not even our real problem. Because all of our sins are in the first place against Almighty God, the Creator. And every sin deserves punishment. That's our real problem. But friends, wonderfully, our sin is not bigger than this Savior. Friends, Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. He came to bring a way back to the Father. What is Christmas about? What child is this? Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be bore for me, for you. Jesus came for you. You have a sin problem. Guess what he brings you? He brings you free forgiveness. He brings you full forgiveness. He brings you forever forgiveness. Friend, God is now for us in Jesus Christ and his coming. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the condemned? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us. <laughs> God was for us at the cross and he remains for us right now as Jesus is making our case. God is for you. If God is for you, you realize you can't even be against you. Okay? Praise be to God. Because of Jesus, we don't have to carry any more guilt, any more shame. If you're doing that, give it back to Jesus. Say, I'm sorry. I took it back. Here you go again. What child is this? The Word made flesh, come to make payments for all our sins. And the check clears at the cross because Jesus is infinite God. In love, the Father sent His Son to pay all our debt. And the angels look on in wonder because God never did this for the fallen angels. Marvel, because in Jesus, our biggest problem, our sin problem, is completely eliminated. Praise be to God. Let's move on to Emmanuel. Verse 23, Behold, another behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see at the cross, God is for us. We see at the crib, God is with us. You know that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, his dying words were, the best of all, God with us. Christmas is when God became a human baby. What does being a baby tell us about God? Well, if you've been here for any period of time, you know the answer. Jamie and I have had the privilege of fostering three infants all under five months old in the last year. <laughs> and it turns out babies are really popular around folks in this place, right? Why is that? Because babies have no hidden agenda. <laughs> we can trust babies. They want us to love them. They're accessible and they're completely non-threatening, right? God sent his son as an infant so that we would not fear drawing near to him. For the Savior of sinners, we couldn't draw near to God because God wouldn't compromise his holiness. That's why he put the flaming sword and the angels there guarding Eden. That's why at Mount Sinai, they get close to the mountain, they're like, oh, no, 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 we're afraid. But a baby, now a baby makes it clear. His desire is to be with us. That ought to help you overcome your suspicions. And Jesus walked among us and he taught his disciples that we can now have intimate relationship as adopted, spirit-filled children of the King. And we can approach God as our Father. Read John 14 through 16. And Jesus remains our big brother. He is still in flesh like ours. We just read that in Hebrews 2. Mark read that. We heard that Jesus, he came to deliver us who were enslaved. And in heaven now, he is still representing us in our flesh when we sin. I think I need to remind us again of how Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because we tend to think the exact opposite. We think, ah, when Joel's got his act together, he's done a lot of good things. Oh, Jesus is really near to Joel. And when we sin, we mess up. We think Jesus is far away. Not true. Not true. Sin's impact. That's what makes us feel we're unlovable like Jesus is far away. But the opposite is true. Jesus is not repulsed when we sin. He doesn't like the sin. 
but he's not repulsed by us. God is still with us. When we sin, what happens? Jesus' heart fills with more compassion. And he instinctively runs to our aid, just like Genesis 3. Hebrews 4.15 will go on to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is an incredible verse. It tells us that Jesus gets us when we sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands our temptations. And there's more. He did not sin, but you know what? He became sin. Who knew no sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21. That means he fully understands the debilitating effects of sin. And he has experiential compassion. And he longs to help us. That's why they call him the great physician. You see, sin is a disease that we suffer from. Say you have lung cancer. Well, you want to go to Jesus because, guess what? He also had lung cancer, and he beat it, and he also donated a lung so that you could live. Okay? That's the kind of doctor Jesus is. Doesn't that make you adore him all the more? He cares for you that much. Don't you want to draw near to Jesus? Be with him. I wonder about that because I talked to a lot of people. I was talking with this guy at the coffee shop last week, and he often tells me this same story. He knows I'm a pastor, and so regularly he feels the need to explain why he doesn't go to church. I never asked, but he just tells me. And he says, Joel, I experience God out in nature. Nature is my sanctuary. And I think experiencing God out in nature is great. That's wonderful. But I fear he's missing out. He's not really adoring Jesus. What do you mean, Joel? There's all the difference between experiencing God at a distance and being with God intimately in relationship, which is what Jesus wants. I mean, you can get a pretty big vision of God by creation, just like the little angel at the beginning, remember? But that little angel was far more amazed at us getting a unique in-person visitation. I guess my question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you with God in the same way he is with you? Are you with God in the same way that he is with you? I want for everybody here at Heart City to be decisive like Joseph, that we would just jump. Notice he wakes up, he immediately does what God says, he marries Mary, may well ruin his reputation. His situation isn't great going forward now, but he embraces God's plan for his life. And know what? He takes Jesus to be his own. He takes Jesus into his life. No matter the outcome, Jesus is going to be with me. Emmanuel. God with me for Joseph meant me with God. Since God was decisive for me, I'm going to be decisive for God. Actually, Joseph is quite the Micah 6-8 man, right? Here he was just. He loved kindness. But he also obeys that call to walk humbly with God. There's a lot of verses about that. Us walking with God in the same way God is with us. And that's how we're going to close. I want to encourage us to commit to be with God as God is with us. I want all of us to be decisive like Joseph. Heart City is already getting the reputation for folks who know Jesus is not just real, but also that he's near, near. So I'm going to give us some guidance. Three thoughts to close. Number one, 
You want to be with God? Suspend your suspicion. You need to start doubting your doubts when it comes to God. Doubting your doubts when it comes to God. When you're struggling to believe, say like the man did to Jesus in Mark 9, I believe, help my unbelief. Do that every time because Jesus hears that prayer. And eventually your doubts will start to die. Every time you start to get suspicious of what God's saying or doing in your life, I believe, help my unbelief. Number two, I want you to cultivate a holy imagination. A holy imagination. Read your Bible. Find God's promises. Look at these huge visions of glory that God has. You know, the Bible is not a book like so many think, teaching you how to color in the lines. The Bible is a book that invites you to put down your coloring pages and enter into a glorious tapestry of a whole nother reality that's far beyond, that you'll never get beyond. It just gets better and better and better. That's what your Bible is. What would happen if we began to spend time daily imagining what it would be like if all these gospel promises are true, if all these realities were true? What would it be like if we spent time imagining that every day? I want especially for you to start thinking about particularly, and look at Paul, what it means that you're in Christ. What it means that you're in Christ. I want to remind you that the Bible has no small vision of who you are in Jesus Christ, that you're with him. Begin to imagine as big as the Bible talks. Even if it sounds crazy, let's give up on our resources because that's what we tend to do, right? And start to look to the plenty that's found in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a real sense, we should imagine being like the Virgin Mary, even you guys. Paul says in Galatians 4.9 how he is in labor for the Galatians to have Christ birthed in them. And if Christ can be birthed in Mary, there's a real sense that he can be birthed in your life. That means your life and his life are inseparable. Being Christ means that you are in spirit in him. Your lives are intertwined together. So how, how, how are we going to do that? Well, i got a help for you. When you walk out, I'm going to hand you one of these. It's got 20 different promises of who you are in Christ. Guess what? Tomorrow is the 11th. There's 20 days left in the month. I dare you. I dare you to get up every morning and spend first five minutes just taking in one promise and then come back to it several times that day. I dare you. See what happens. 20 realities. The rest of our 2023 and then let's, let's talk about it as we start 2024. And the last thing, first thing, suspend your suspicion. Second, cultivate a holy imagination. Third, the last thing, pray. Pray. That's how you draw near to God. That's how you can be with him. A lot of mornings I start off with, let me be with you as you are with me. Let me be with you as you are with me. Pray that God will search you and know you. And pray that you can come to know his heart for you. And as we suspend our suspicions, use holy imagination, and then pray diligently, God's going to reward us. He rewards those who diligently seek him. He already has been here. I've seen it, and he's going to do more.
I would love to see, starting in 24, 2024, us mounting up with wings like eagles, our strength renewed. How would you like to just run and not be weary? To walk through this world and not faint. Put a fork in your doubts. Give it a go every day for the rest of 2023. And you might just find halfway along the way, God is changing your reality. You're discovering his nearness. You're discovering you're loved. And you'll be like, why in the world did I wait so long? Let's overcome struggles that you've had over the years. Let's discover us, ourselves standing tall in situations that used to make us wilt. Let's rejoice as we see our lives beginning to impact others in ways that never happened before. Do you realize that we are the feature film of the entire cosmos? I got up this morning with Ephesians 3, 9, and 10 on my brain. Paul talks about the manifold wisdom of God being displayed. Where? In the church. In the church. And all the rulers, authority, the heavenly host, angelic beings, the demons, all of them. What are they doing? What are they watching right now? The biggest show in the entire universe is the church and the people who are in Christ. Think about that. You realize CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, they don't have a clue about the greatest thing happening in the world. You won't see it on there. So let's start to cultivate a holy imagination. Let's begin to see God working in our church. Let's trust him that he truly is with us and for us and will be to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> what manner of love is this? That we should be called your children, and such we are in Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending your Son into our world, and we, we adore you, Jesus. We adore you. We adore you more now. And I pray that we might adore you more as we leave here and come tomorrow, adore you even more, and just spend the rest of our days growing in adoration until that day when we see you face to face and we'll be like, wow, I, didn't even, I couldn't even imagine to be as good as this. Pray that you'll give us your Holy Spirit, especially help us, Lord, because we get busy, we get distracted. It'll be so easy to forget about these promises and to put aside this opportunity that we have today and maybe only today to, to draw near to you. I pray that every day going forward that we will see the true reality of our situation, enter into your bigger vision, trust you with all our hearts, and embrace our Lord Jesus Christ as we adore him more and more. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.